You're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to www.redwoodbaptist.org. We pray and hope that the message that you are about to listen to will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. Last week, we started a, uh, a series in here on defeating, uh, defeating sin, and it's going to, uh, it's going to be a several-week a several uh, study. I'd like for you to turn to Romans 8 again uh, here uh, this morning. And we, we kind of alluded, and we, took, we went to some Old Testament texts from last week, how God took the children of Israel through the leadership of Joshua. They crossed the Jordan River, and they began to just wipe out cities. And yet, even as they were wiping out these cities, there were still pockets left of, of, of the enemy, and they would constantly be kind of springing itself back up, kind of like our flesh does and sin in our own life. And we saw in Judges 3, and it says, Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them, or to kind of to mature them even as many of Israel had not known all the wars of Canaan, only that the generations of the children of Israel might know, teach them to war at the least such as before knew nothing thereof. And so we started to ponder the question of why would God, um, why would God leave sin in our life and why would God leave enemies in the children of Israel's path, you know, Joshua got old, new generation arose. Uh, Judges 2 talks about that. They knew not the Lord. They knew neither the things of the Lord. They didn't really fear the Lord. And yet, so God used these other little smaller enemies that would continue to kind of uh, come back and fight them for the purpose of maturing them, for the purpose of proving them, strengthening them, just like you would with metal, and then also for them to learn how to fight. Not so much a physical battle as much as it is to fight for the Lord and to realize that God is with them and that God is uh, victorious continually uh, in their life. And so you and I, uh, we, we face the same thing in our life. And we, uh, we came to the conclusion that ultimately you are going to continue to battle with sin in your life because somehow, some way, it's for your good and God's glory. We don't fully know God's ways are higher than our ways, His thoughts. He does things for Himself, and He works all things together for good. And so, it's for our good and for our glory. But we tried to come up with a few possibilities, and I want to review those real quickly uh, here this morning. We, we talked about how it could potentially be there to make us humble and dependent upon God. And I think it definitely does that in my life. Uh, it just continually uh, shows me that there is a brokenness in, in me and, and uh, will ever bring me before the Lord and become dependent uh, upon God. When there are seasons where I'm not dependent, I seem to be losing more. And uh, when I am more dependent, I seem to be more victorious uh, in areas. And so there's that dichotomy there of where it's teaching you that. Uh, potentially that's why uh, God left it there. We also talked about how it cultivates in us a thankfulness because not every time we are tempted do we give in. And we're like, God, thank you for allowing me to have victory this day. And then when you do give in, God, thank you. This is kind of another point, but thank you for the forgiveness. 
that is found in Christ. And uh, then we also said last week that it should in us promote a compassion because we remember what we were like prior to salvation. And uh, those that we're dealing with in our lives, they, uh, if, they are, if they're lost, they're just bent towards sin. And so it should bring a compassion about us because we remember where we came from. And even now that we have this new heart and we have the Holy Spirit living with us, we still sin. We still fail compassion. Not pharisaical, but compassionate. Compassionate. Because we come to the table realizing that we don't have it all together. That we're not perfect. Okay, so promote compassion in us. We also said that it could potentially sin and the struggle of sin being left in us, the presence of it, is to keep our focus on the gospel. Constantly drives us back to Christ. Constantly drives us back to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and His continued grace, and we're thankful for that. And then also, we said that it's to help us to long for heaven. Man, I get sick of it. And it's to, we're just passing through. And uh, we, have, uh, we have a home in heaven that is waiting for us. And so I want to I start this morning uh, by way of asking you this question. Are you ready to kill it? You ready to kill? You ready to war uh, with, the, uh, with the sin that's in your life? This is, a, uh, this is a stark question and it demands qualification. But killing it is a regular part of the Christian life. There's an aspect of being a Christian that is downright violent because God commands us to hunt down and to kill all remaining sin and to terminate it. And uh, look at verse number 12 of Romans 8. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For ye live after the flesh, ye, if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Remember the, uh, we looked at uh, John, uh, John Stott's uh, statement and uh, when he uh, told us that, I don't think it was John Stott, I'm sorry. Um, John Owen, forgive me. John Stott's another great uh, Puritan that you can learn from. But John Owen, uh, in his book, Mortification of Sin, he said, we are to be killing sin or being, you remember who remembers? Killed. So we ought to be killing sin or we're going to be killed by it. You can kind of even see it here in this text where it's going to, it's going to ruin our life. But Paul tells us here that through the Spirit, we are to mortify, we are to put to death. It's actually a very violent uh, term, a very description. It's, it's got it's got graphicness to it of mortifying of slain of putting to death uh, the deeds of the body and uh, ye shall live turn to colossians 3 please colossians 3 colossians chapter 3 verse 5 See this word mortify again. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Okay, so we're supposed to kill all the members of our church. No, that's not what Paul's saying. Okay, he's talking about he's talking about your he's talking about your flesh, kind of the just you know just just be put it to death, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, 
evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry. So you and I, were, and then Paul goes on, he just lists these things. You and I, we're to, we're to mortify those things. We're to mortify the deeds of the flesh. Paul didn't say that you, are, you and I are to negotiate with it. We're not to, we're not to try to bargain with sin. This is, uh, this is not a diplomacy. Uh, you and I, we're to literally make war against the remaining sin that's in our life and that is in our heart. And so, God calls you to identify it. God calls you to locate it, to attack it, to execute the enemy, to put it to death. Period. And so, our, our objective is clear. You and I, we're to, we're to mortify these sins. We're to, we're to mortify these deeds. Uh, these things that uh, often, if I, I, I should have kept reading in the text and in other places where Paul says, you know, he goes through this list and some of the things are like, well, I've never done those things. And then he just talks about, you know, a lying tongue and not willing to forgive. And he, he lumps all that in as well, that this is the type of sin that sometimes, you know, Christians might not be uh, committing the sin of fornication and adultery and those different types of things. But if you and I are thinking wrongly, you and I know that we actually are uh, because of the way uh, the law describes it. And so, you and I, the objective is clear. You've got to go to war with the enemy. But do you know your enemy? Do we, do we fully understand sin? Do we understand what it does in our life? Being ignorant of the adversary is inexcusable because God has revealed everything you need to know about it. It's nature. It's strategy. And sin's goal. Now, let me make this statement. Only a fool would engage an enemy that he does not understand. Okay, Whose strengths and tactics we do not uh, are fully aware of. You would try that in sports. They've got a couple teams that are playing. If you didn't know that other team and you didn't look at any video on them today, guess what? You're going to get slaughtered on the field. In a business, if you don't know the, uh, the, the potential other businesses out there, guess what? Your money stream is going to go in a downward climb if you do not understand what is at stake in the different arenas. And so those are certainly of far lesser importance compared to the health of your soul. It says, verse eight, or, or, or Romans 8, verse 13, it says again, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die... But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. And so in the relentless war against sin, ignorance, what's the same? is bliss. But it's not bliss in this case. You and I, we've got to understand the, uh, the, the enemy of sin in us. Uh, think of it like this. If you and I had the job to track down and eliminate a dangerous group of maybe insurgents or... Uh, terrorists of some kind, what would you need to know to accomplish that objective? Well, you'd want to know their background. You'd want to, you'd want to identify their leaders. You'd want to understand their goals. You'd want to learn their strengths as well as their weaknesses. You would familiarize yourself with their allies. You'd familiarize yourself with the, uh, their, their technological sophistication what their weaponry is, what their, what their tactics. Here's, here's the way that they've done it before. You would immerse yourself in trying to understand 
the insurgent, the, the, the enemy, so to speak. And so you and I, we've got to take that approach with sin. So what do we need to know about it to put it to death? You know, think, just, just think about what, what do we need to know about sin if you and I are going to be able to put it to death in our life? Let me give you a couple areas here. Number one, you need to understand the nature of sin. we're really going to kill it, if we're really going to mortify it, and we're going to talk far more in depth in these points as we go through, this is kind of just an overview of what it means to understand our enemy, we're going to have to know the nature of sin. And so, John Owen in his book, The Mortification of Sin, here's what he said, it is to be feared that many Christians have little knowledge of the main enemy that they carry about within them. Let me say that again. It is to be feared that many Christians have little knowledge of the main enemy that they carry about them within them. And so Owen had pastoral concerns for the Christians in his day who were ignorant of sin's nature and how poorly they were equipped to combat it. Now, what about you? I'm not asking me. I'm asking you. How is your knowledge? And here's why it's not all that important about what you know that I know. Because I'm not going to go with you this week. You're going to go into your different arenas, into your workplaces. And listen, I better know as well because you're not going to be there with me either. I go into my arenas and my routines throughout our week. And so, how, what do you know about the nature of sin? I want you to turn to James chapter 1 real quick, please. James chapter number 1. So when we're considering the nature of sin, above all, you and I need to understand that sin is deceptive. You and I would be foolish to think that everything in this world is okay. You and I would be foolish to think that every single thing that comes into our eye gate is okay. We would be foolish to think that everything that comes into our ear gate, into our soul, right? Gates to our soul. is Everything is just, it's all just okay. Sin entices its victims. It deceives its victims with lies. It, it lures them away from safety and ultimately it desires to kill them. Sin promises pleasure, but it always delivers pain and sorrow and death. Look at James 1.14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Notice what verse 15 says. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth, what's the next word? Sin. So here's what you and I know. You and I know that that initial temptation, that's not where the sin lies. Jesus was tempted at all points like as we are, yet without sin. And so when that, when that temptation comes and there's a, there's a 
germination period, it begins, to, it begins to fester. You begin to ponder it. You begin to think about it. That's when James says that when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So it's going to promise all kinds of things, but in the end, the nature of it is it deceives so it can kill. That's why John Owen said we, we, we better be killing it or it's going to kill us. It's going to ruin us. It's going to make us non-effective in any way for the kingdom of God. And so sin is crafty. Sin is, sin is subtle. James, or excuse me, Genesis 3 tells us that. That, that the serpent, he was, he, he was more subtle than any of, the field, any of the beasts in the field there. Just like the serpent. Sin represents itself as an ally. As a trusted ally. Oh, Ryan, I know what you really want. I know what's fun. I know what feels good. I know you. This is what you, this is what you really want. This is, the, the, this is the music that makes you go. Whatever. I'm not trying to pick on music here this morning. But it presents itself as an ally. It offers friendly counsel. I use that in quotes. It whispers sweet promises to you. Hey, if you, I will. Right? That's what it does. But it always deceives. Sin can never be trusted. All you got to do is look back on Bible history and you can discover the track record of treachery. Sin deceived Eve with a piece of forbidden fruit. And then obviously it weakened Adam to the point where he turned away from God's clear command that God was not sufficient and it became idolatry. He worshipped himself. I need that. I don't want to live apart from my wife. I want it. And ultimately the Adamic nature and (laughs) we we see the fall of man. Sin deceived Achan with a forbidden spoils of war and his whole family they were stoned to death sin deceived david with a forbidden woman leading him into adultery saying ah this is what you want she's beautiful and what that lead to that led to adultery deception murder cover up david and his family they never really they never really uh, recovered from that his kingdom was never the same Sin deceived Solomon with foreign wives leading him into adultery and it completely tore his kingdom apart. Sin deceived Judas for 30 pieces of silver. Obviously leading him to the greatest crime in history. The death of our Savior Jesus Christ. And obviously we we see the, the good in that. Put yourself in his shoes at that moment. You didn't have the rest of the story yet. And so for 30 pieces of silver. Sin deceived Ananias and Sapphira with a deadly combination of money and prestige. Leading them to lie to the Holy Spirit and they dropped dead. And so in every case, and we could go through more, sin allured its victims with some fake promise eve you you'll be like as one of the gods knowing good and evil like bait on a hook sin offered wisdom pleasure wealth respectability but every single time it delivered death 
And so what is it, though, in your life? Those different stories that we gave just kind of a cursory look at through just the Old Testament and some of the New, those would have been different for everybody. So, so what is it that is, uh, that is pulling, this pulling at you? Let me quote another Puritan for you, Thomas Guthrie. Here's what he said. Who is this Delilah that sings the Nazarite asleep and delivers up the strength of God into the hands of the uncircumcised? What fair siren is there who, seated on the rock, some form of a statue by a deadly pool, smiles to deceive? sings to lure, kisses to betray, and flings her arm around our neck to leap with us into perdition. And his, question, his answer to those questions is sin. That's the nature of sin. It's deceitful. It's crafty. Uh, you and I, we're not to just live our lives with our heads in the sands and just assuming that everything is just amoral meaning that there's no morality to it. No, we need to look at things and say, is there, is, what, is the, what is the moral in this? The, the, the morality in this? Is it, is it right? Is it, you know, is it wrong? Sin says, oh, this is what you need. This is what you want. This is what you've always craved. And guess what? When you get this, you'll get wisdom. You'll get popularity. You'll get needs met. Whatever the case is. And in the end, its nature is it's desiring to kill you. It's desiring to bring death. So what's the strategy of sin? The nature is it's going to deceive you. And it wants to ultimately kill you. But what's its strategy? Well, the strategy is to excite lust tempting you with an opportunity to fulfill it. Now here's what you and I, we've got to understand this. We've got to take this down to its, to its basest form. Often when you and I think of the word lust, we, intimate, we, ought, we, uh, we normally come to a sexual connotation to that. But lust at its basest form is not sin. Lust is simply a strong desire that's all that is. It's just a strong desire. So when that, when that strong desire that you have, by the way, God created us with strong sexual desires. We're all adults in here. We can handle that. That's not wrong. So the, so, so, so the lust or the strong desire then gets enticed by Satan. The lust is... It's just it's it's the way it's what we were created for. How many of you like chocolate cake? Come on, I like chocolate. Rick, I know you like chocolate cake. You didn't raise your hand. Thank you, sir. He really likes Mrs. J's chocolate cake that's got a lot of cappuccinos in it or something. Okay, sorry to point you out like that. But we we, we like chocolate cake. Now listen, why there might be some back there, Andrew. You brought some delicious goodies back there. But in this room right now, I, now I now see now I enticed you. You're thinking about chocolate cake. But before I said that. There's nothing wrong with loving chocolate cake. But there's no, there's no chocolate cake in here. Not that I know of. And you have some in your bag. And so, but if I were to bring out a chocolate cake and we go, oh, that's not sinful. Unless I guess you eat too much. And then we'd be, you know, obviously um, committing the sin of gluttony. But if I pull this chocolate cake out in front of you, and I'm like, see, I ain't eating 
But prior to that, no, no issue with that. Again, we were assuming Chuck would take us in, and we know that it's not. And so when lust then gets enticed, then you and I have an opportunity to fulfill on that lust. And if that lust is in the, in the bounds of sin, then you and I are obviously stepping into what we would know as death. Sin is killing us. And so when you and I take the bait, it yanks the hook and you're caught. That's exactly the picture that James painted here. Let's look at it again. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, once you've gotten the the hook in there, once you've been baited, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. The temptation, listen listen to what I'm about to say. The temptation may come from the outside, but for the strategy to work, there must be a cooperating attraction on the inside. So those of you in here, go back to our chocolate cake illustration, that do not like chocolate cake, let's say you're allergic to chocolate, we'll pray for you, okay? But let's say you were, and I'm like, ooh, look at this chocolate good every one of you could have brought me a fruit cake today and i promise you i wouldn't have eaten it as much as i love you i wouldn't have eaten it why because that is not a temptation for me there you go dave and what can what can god change can god change the desires of the heart yes or no yes he And so before we just lump everything into just always being like a sexual sin, no, 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 no. That often is how the word lust gets attached, but it's simply just a strong desire. Now, if that strong desire is for sinful things, okay, the word, but I I was trying to even let some of us off the hook that some of those things aren't always sinful. They're they're, they're God-given. And they're part of being human and they're, a part of being, you know, kind of created in that in that image with with desires, but it's when we are enticed outside of those things. So, for example, if someone were to try to entice me outside of my marriage with my wife Sarah, for that fulfillment, that of course would be wrong. It would be sinful. Obviously, prior to marriage, those those things are sinful, whether it's fornication or adultery. And so, the temptation, yes comes from the outside. But notice what it attaches to in the text. But every man is something when he's drawn away of his own lust. So it does attach to something on the inside. And if we're not careful, uh, we'll, just, we'll just give in. So there's this internal lust. There are these, sometimes these betraying thoughts. They're sinful impulses. Turn over to James 4, please. James chapter 4. You following me? We're good? Yes, so? Maybe so? Cold in here? Sorry. It's cold last night. Slowly warming up. Look at verse 1. From whence comes wars? Where do wars come from and fighting among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war that ye have not because ye ask not. Listen, we went verse by verse through James. I loved that series. Let me just take a real quick uh, synopsis here. I want you to notice the progression. You want, you need, you demand, and finally you take. 
whatever the cost. So sin is treacherous. Pride, resentment, bitterness, and unbelief, those are all choice weapons in the arsenal of sin, and it will work thoroughly or through your dissatisfaction. It will work through your jealousy. If you're dissatisfied, if you're dissatisfied with something, then you will you will you will sin to get. If you are jealous of someone else, you will wish ill of them or you will steal. I mean, all the different things. Sin works on our dissatisfaction. He, it works on our jealousy. It works on our fears. It works on our sorrow. It works on our anger. It's trying to take advantage of every single point in your life. It's forever after you. It's going to ambush you at the point of the you maybe a most recent accomplishment, maybe a spiritual milestone or a season of defeat. Sin's strategy is to find and target your most vulnerable spot. Owen continues to describe the strategy as this way. I'm going to read this long quote. Sin is always acting, always conceiving, and always seducing and tempting. We can say that he has ever had anything to do, excuse me, who can say that he has ever had anything to do with God or for God, which indwelling sin has not tried to corrupt? There is not a day but sin foils or is foiled, prevails or is prevailed upon. It will always be so while we live in this world. Sin will not spare for one day. There is no safety but in a constant warfare for those who desire deliverance from sin's perplexing rebellion. You want freedom from it? Continually be warring against it. Ryan, I mean, that's for like the rest of our life. Yeah, it's for the rest of our life. We're going to look into uh, Psalm 42 at 11 o'clock and we're going to see some glorious truths in a couple verses and then the very next verse. It's like David goes right back into it. It's going to be a perpetual fight a perpetual war and so even the title of this series defeating sin is almost unfair because ultimately you're going to continually be fighting it and our prayer is is that we will have more days of victory more moments of victory than defeat amen but we're going to be being defeated all the day long if we don't fight if we don't fully understand it so the goal of sin man the Time's flying. The goal of sin. We've seen the nature of it. It's going to deceive you and ultimately try to kill you. The, the, the death of you. To destroy you. The strategy of sin is it takes, it takes a desire that you have and then it brings a temptation from without and it tries to corrupt you from the inside. But what's, its, what's sin's goal? What's its objective? Well, what does it want? Well, turn to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, please. What does it want? It wants to master you. So ultimately, it can kill you. But it wants to master you. When you consider the Bible's first description of sin provided by God Himself, we see in verse number 7 of Genesis 4, if thou doest well... Shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin 
lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. I cannot think of a more eerie description of, of sin than that. Notice what it says. Shall be his desire. It means that sin wants you. It's lying there. It, it, it's waiting for you. It, it's coming after you. God compares this, um, this, the, this sin as kind of like a tiger, like a crouching tiger that's just, that's just waiting for you. His desire is so that He can rule over you. To master you. Sin's not necessarily hiding, but more so waiting. Wants to dominate you. That's its goal. If you remember, sin triumphed over Cain. Do we know the rest of chapter number 4? Sin took control of his thoughts, mastered his emotions, and governed his behavior, and ultimately led to Cain's demise. And he's the first person that God cursed in the Bible. Cain went to And so that's the ultimate desire of sin. Obviously, a born-again Christian cannot lose their salvation, but sin in whole, as a gen- in general, it wants, to, it wants to master us. It wants to kill us. It also wants to defile us. Uh, think, of, think of rust on a precious metal. Think of, uh, obviously, this is, uh, remember, remember the clouds when it was like, or the, the smoke, you know, could take, you know, blue sky, and then we had all those fires or smog if you're down in L.A., and it's just like, this, just kind of defiles a beautiful sky, or you have a uh, you know, you have a beautiful new white shirt or something, and you get a big old coffee stain on it, whatever. It defiles you. It defiles me. The Bible, the, the, the Bible talks about that. I'm going to hasten here. First Kings 8, uh, the sin of man's heart is compared to an oozing sores of a deadly plague. Ooh, this pus and blood. And Zechariah 3, it can, it's compared to filthy garments. So it's defiling. Sin's like a cancerous disease. It's entrenched deep within the heart. And it's ultimately trying to, uh, trying to dominate us and to, to kill us. Let me say thirdly and finally here. Uh, sin tries, as far as, its, as far as its goal, sin tries to diminish the glory of Christ. This is for the believer. Well, this is actually in general and to dim the hope of the gospel. That's what ultimately sin tries to do. Sin produces despair, tempting you to abandon any hope of forgiveness. Have you ever felt like you went too far? That's what sin does. Think of David in Psalm 51. He says, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Our iniquities... But it's like it separates us. We know that in Christ, that never can happen. But you feel like it. You feel like you're a failure. You feel like you can never. You feel like you can never go on. That's what sin wants you to do. Sin wants you ultimately to give up and just to remain in the sin, and to just say, "I'm never going to win this battle of impure thought, lust." I'm never going to win with the desire to have 
more of what maybe somebody else has. I'm never going to win when it comes to when you look in the mirror and we're never enough. Oh, we have a generation that looks in the mirror and it's never enough. So they do all kinds of things to try to be enough. And so, oh, I can never win. I can never, I can never conquer this. And so, you know what? I am done. That's exactly what sin wants you to do. Sin wants you to think that you're beyond the gospel reach, whether if you're lost, of course it wants you to think that. But even for the, even for the born-again believer, sin wants you to think that you've sinned beyond the grace of God. Where sin abounds, praise God, grace does much more abound. It does. But sin wants, to, sin wants to keep you there. Sin is a fierce enemy and He has devised your ruin. From the very beginning, God has warned us about sin's cunning uh, ways and its treachery. It entices, it masters, and then it kills. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Hebrews 12, 1, though, is a great verse. Let me just read it for you and we'll be done. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and what? Finisher of our faith. And so there are those that have gone before us. There can be a debate on who those people are. That does not matter to me right now. But there's, there's a cloud of witnesses. Okay? There's, there's those that have gone before us. But clearly, clearly Christ has gone before us. Clearly Christ has paved the way for our victory. And so we keep our eyes on the Gospel and what He has done for us. And so it cannot and it will not be ignored. It must be executed. So what do we do? Ah, we'll learn next week. Next week we'll begin to look at the practical side of it. Just wanted to give you an understanding of what we're dealing with, the enemy of our sin. You like that hook? Come back next week. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for uh, God's your word.